If you don't know, my name is James Lehman. I am the pastor here, and the color of my skin is white. I, I, don't, I don't say that lightly, okay? The color of my skin is white, but I did not always know that. My parents were Bible translators with the Northern Cheyenne Indians on the Eastern Montana Reservation over there. I grew up on the res. I can say it like that. I may not be politically correct, but growing up there, it didn't matter. Grew up in a single wide trailer with an add-on so my parents could have a room. I don't know how many other people in that village of 300 shared the same skin color of me. I know that at least one other couple did because they were the pastors of the church that we went to and we lived on the church property. The church on a Sunday morning was probably 60% native, 40% white. My family made up about 39% of that. <laughs> Pastor and his wife were the other 1%. Okay, the school that I grew up in was something different. It was probably, the elementary school was probably 85 to 90% native and 10% white. Fourth of July powwow came along. Each and every year, I was the lone white boy out in the middle of the arena dancing. I had borrowed feathers, but I had my own beaded choker. I didn't care the color of my skin. Junior high hit, and my family moved to the thriving metropolis of Hardin, Montana. Population 3,000. I walked into the first day of junior high, which is a terrifying moment for anybody, let alone a boy. But I walked into my first day of junior high at Hardin Middle School, and I looked down the hall, and I noticed that on one side of the hall were people with brown skin, and on the other side of the hall were people with white skin. In as much as any junior high boy can think, I had to make a conscious effort. Which side am I going to stand on? Sometimes I kid around and say I didn't know that I was white until I was junior high. When I was a five-year-old boy, I couldn't have told you if my friend Philip Rising's son had brown skin or white skin. I couldn't have told you if my adopted grandma, Gladys Old Mouse, I couldn't have told you why anybody would ever say anything negative about her. When there was a very good-looking young lady in high school named Fawn Walking Bear, it didn't bother me that her skin was a slightly darker shade than mine. Fast forward about 25 years. I'm a free Methodist pastor at this point at a pastor's retreat in Warm Beach, Washington. It's not warm, it's not a beach, but that doesn't matter for this morning, okay? <laughs> We're standing in line to go to lunch. This is like the very first thing we do. You know, they, they, they crowd you into this place. You don't know anybody yet, but they crowd you in. And I sparked up a conversation with the guy behind me. His name was B. Elliot Renfro. Turns out he was African-American, okay? That's a picture of him right there. We struck up a conversation, and we ate together at lunch, and uh, the other, the only other African-American pastor that was at that conference, that retreat, joined us for lunch and in the conversation after. So afterwards, we were getting to know each other, and he's, you know, tell me your story. Tell me, tell me yours. Tell me about your life. And I, and I told him the story about how I didn't, uh, I didn't know that I was white until I was in junior high. And he looked at the other African-American pastor who was next to him, and he said to him, was there ever a time in your life you did not know you were black? No, was his response. 
I knew it from the day I first could and was told it every day since. At that moment, my heart hurt. I grieved. I felt uneasy, some inner unrest. Though I had never personally segregated, ridiculed, or shamed to be Elliot or the other pastor, I lived in a culture and a society that had, and I grieved that. I grieve that as a white man, I will never fully know nor understand the trials these guys went through growing up. But I will tell you this, as of this day, I call B. Elliot my brother, okay? Not in that, yo, what's up, bro, type of way, and not in any unthinking or racial type of way either. I call him my brother because he is one of my dearest friends. He has eaten at my table. He has slept under my roof. We have shared the joys of life, the pains of life. I've laughed with him, cried with him. And as much as we can, 2,000 miles apart, because he's a pastor in the suburbs of Chicago, we have been invested in each other's lives and families and ministries. I call him a brother in the truest of senses. Black, brown, white, doesn't matter. Now, tomorrow, our country celebrates Martin Luther King Day. A lot has changed since the 50s and 60s when he was one of the leaders in the civil rights movement, but a lot hasn't. Before I go on, allow me to pray. Our Father in heaven, this humanity that you created, that you called very good, we are in need of your help. We are in need of your intervention. We are in need of your aid. We confess, Lord, that we do not treat each other as you treat us. We do not see each other as you see us. We do not love each other as you love us. Father, forgive us, for in this we sin. And yet, Abba, this morning I believe that you would still look at us and call us very good, for we are made in your image. Yes, Lord, we are made in your image. And knowing this, while we are still on this side of eternity, would you remind us of the color of our skin? Not, Lord, so that we can neglect, abuse, or mistreat, but so that we can be reminded of the kaleidoscope of color that we who are created in your image so visibly and beautifully display. Remind us, Lord, so that we never forget the shared story of our humanity that we are part of together. Remind us, Lord, of the wrongs that we have committed so that we may not make them again and that through you we can strive to make them right. Remind us of the brokenness in our stories so that we will remember that it is you who will put us back together. Remind us of the heartache of our shared stories so that we would turn to you for comfort and consolation. Abba, Father, we are your children. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. Guide us as we continue to learn what that truly means. And I pray this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You know, last fall, 2017, we did a three-week formation hour series on racism. I realized in prepping for that series that I had never preached a sermon on racism. I had never prepped a class on it. I had never used the front to promote that type of topic. Please forgive me. I'm moving in on 12 years here. 12 years. 
and I have never broached that topic. Again, forgive me. Today we're going to broach that topic, but I'll tell you right from the get-go, we're barely going to scratch the surface. We could probably go 52 weeks in this topic, okay? Know that. Also know that I approach this topic with a lot of prayer, knowing that we may not all see things the same way. Now, all that being said, tomorrow we celebrate as a nation Martin Luther King Day. As a nation, have we taken strides towards King's I Have a Dream? As a nation, is racism still as rampant today as it was before the days of the civil rights movement? As a church, are there things that we can learn, lessons that Martin Luther King could teach us here as First Free Methodist Church? I want to answer these questions, and I'll answer them quick. Okay? First, yes, I do believe that as a nation we are making strides towards King's I Have a Dream. There are no laws regulating where a person sits on a bus, depending on the color of their skin. You go into any sort of classroom now, and you'll see that it is fully integrated. In fact, even a company like the NFL, which has had its share of hiccups this last season, even a company like the NFL has rules which require when hiring for coaches or office positions that you must interview people of different ethnicities, of different color. So I believe we have made strides as a nation towards King's I Have a Dream. Now, yes, I also believe that racism is as rampant today as it was before the civil rights movement. Sometimes it looks the same, sometimes it looks different. You do a Google search on racism in Spokane, and you're going to get a whole tons of hits just in this last year. July 28th, the black man was pushed off a dock in Coeur d'Alene by a group of white men. They claimed it wasn't racist. March, or as in May 8th, there was a, a spray-painted message on the house of a refugee family. These are still blatant acts of racism. Other times, it's not near as blatant. Okay, other times it's not near as visible. It's not often, well, it's not, it is also, <laughs> let me say that again, it's not only about the color of our skin, because there are times when different uh, ethnic groups that share the same color of skin are also going at it. There are times where we see racism in different socioeconomic statuses. Maybe you'd call that something different. I'm going to call it racism this morning. There's times we see it in the way people treat different uh, people of different sexual orientation. Guys, in our own formation, our class, we shed tears over the way we inadvertently had acted racist towards people who were different than us. Have we made strides towards kings I have a dream? Yes. Is racism still rampant? Yes. Are there lessons we can learn from the man whose holiday we celebrate tomorrow? Absolutely. I'm going to give two simple ones. You can already see in your outline what they're going to be, but I'm going to tell them to you anyways, okay? Two simple lessons. The first is this. We must have a short-term vision to address racism. We must have a short-term vision to address racism. And by racism, when I say that word from here on out, I'm meaning big picture, okay? Not just blacks and whites. In addition to color of skin, I want to talk about any form of mistreatment, injustice, privilege, given or not given, uh, to someone who is different than you. Whether it's skin color, religion, social status, educational status. You guys understand? So when I say racism, we're going much bigger than just black and white. We must have a short-term vision to address racism. And here is that vision. Do something. Do something. 
In our formation hour class, we agreed that God has not called us all to be Martin Luther King. Thank God for that. God has not called us all to be Mother Teresa. He has not called us all to be Gandhi, but he has called us all to be a neighbor to somebody. God has called us all to reach out a helping hand in some form. God has called us all to see like Jesus sees, and God has called us to be in relationship with other people. The Sunday after Thanksgiving this past year, Pastor Jason preached a really good message on uh, hospitality. And he used Romans chapter 12 as his text. You know, it wasn't a coincidence that the, uh, the curriculum based out of Christianity today that we used for that Formation Hour class also used that same text. And I'm going to jump right back into it today because it fits with this idea of having a short-term vision to address racism. We're going to start in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It'll be up on the screen, and then we'll jump to verse 9. Paul writes this. He says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. We jump to verse 9. Paul says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you but conquer evil by doing good. We must have a short-term vision to address racism, and that means we must do something. This verse, this, this passage, has a great list of things that we do, and I think it'd be easy for us to look at this list in Romans chapter 12 and say, we should do these things with people who look like us, think like us, smell like us. We should do these things for other Christians because that's what this passage is calling us to, right? Well, this past week as I was looking at this, I put the phrase, people different than me, just about anywhere I could in that passage, and boy, did it change it. Boy, did it change it. Let's look a little bit. Verse 9 begins, don't just pretend to love others who are different than you. Really love them. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. This church has been serving our Friends Without Homes downtown for the last 15, 18 years, something like that. We serve them a meal on the last Sunday of every month. Um, this past month when we served them, let me tell you something. It was cold out there. 
And we served them hot nachos. And it would be really, really easy for us to, 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 to say to them, hey, have some nachos. Be warm. Be well fed. Are you cold? Go get some gloves. Hey, we love you guys. Be easy for us to say that and not mean it in the least bit. John's not here, so I'm going to tell you a story about him. Okay? I watched. Several people came through the line without gloves, and we sent them to John because we had gloves in the trailer. And he would give the people gloves, and he'd give them gloves, and, and they'd go. And, and this one guy in particular, you could tell he needed more than gloves. So John gave him gloves, and then he stepped out of the trailer where the supplies were. He went off to the side so that he wouldn't make a scene or anything, and he talked to the guy. And you could tell he was talking to him. I was watching from half a block away. He was engaged, eye contact, hands moving, everything like that. Over 10 minutes later, the conversation was wrapping up, and I watched as John gave that guy a hug. I wonder when the last time that guy got a genuine hug. John loved him, like really loved him in the way this passage tells us. That's only verse 9. In fact, the second half of verse 9, it says, hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. How do we do that? Practically speaking, well, what if you're in your job and somebody makes some sort of racist comment about somebody else? you got two options. You can laugh and go along with it, or you can say, hey, come here a second. I need to tell you that I was offended by that. Okay? That person works hard here. And you don't understand the half of how much harder they have to work than we have to work. I've been watching that person. They're putting out good product. And the way you said that, that was disrespectful for them as a human, not just as somebody at our company. You do that with one of your coworkers, that takes guts. Okay? But that's hating what is wrong and holding tightly to what is good. In fact, that's starting into verse 10. Well, it says, take delight in honoring each other, even if the each other is different than you. Let's keep going. Verse 15. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who, are weep, who weep. You want to know how, how to tell if somebody's happy? You want to know how to tell if somebody's weeping? You look at them. You guys may chuckle, okay? But seriously, you have to see them. But see, there are also people who can fake it really good. So the other way you can tell is by asking them. Hey, seriously, how are you doing? And then you listen. Tell me more. Our common humanity craves somebody who's going to just listen to you. How meaningful would it be for you to laugh with, not at, but with somebody different than you? To weep with somebody who is different than you? How meaningful for them? How meaningful for you? Verse 16 says, live in harmony with each other, even if the each other is different than you. It says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. I love that part. Ordinary people like the guy who pumps your gas in Oregon. Wait, he doesn't do that anymore. Okay? Ordinary people like the guy who washes the dishes at the restaurant you, you frequent. Ordinary people like the guy who, who's the janitor at your office that you walk by every single day at the end of work. 
You guys know something? My friend Bill is ordinary people. I told him he didn't have to say anything back, okay? He is ordinary people. This isn't all about color of skin, but you may notice that his is slightly darker than mine. That has not scared any of us in here. For years, Bill was a custodian in the hospital, in the hospital facilities. For years. I wonder how many times people walk by Bill because he was ordinary people. You know, if you ask God, God's going to say, he's not ordinary. He's greatness in my eyes. He is greatness in my eyes. We're going to push pause on the, on the message for just a second. I want to pay for, pray for Bill, okay? He's having heart surgery on Thursday, so let me pray for you. Lord God, I thank you so much that when you look at Bill's heart, It is pure, it is clean, it is without sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord God, that when the doctors look at Bill's heart, they see something that they can fix. Ultimately, we know that you are the healer. So I pray that you would heal whatever is ailing his heart. I pray that you would give the doctor steady hands. I pray that you would give him a, God, a quick recovery. And would you... (laughs) Would you restore him so that the doctors look at him not as ordinary people, but as a child of God who is greatness? I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Bill is ordinary people. You know who else was ordinary people? Jamie Cruz. If you knew him, you knew his skin was slightly darker than mine also. You knew he was a CPA. That's ordinary people. Okay? But if you had a chance to get to know him, same thing. God would say, that was greatness right there. You don't pack a church with over 150 people when it is dumping snow at a memorial unless there is greatness. You don't have 40, 50, 60 people drive up a hill where there's people getting stuck to get to a graveside service unless there is greatness. Don't neglect the opportunity to get to know ordinary people. How many times do we just walk by somebody who God would say, that person's greatness? Verse 17. Never pay back evil with evil. If you haven't noticed, we live in an evil world. Sin-infested, self-focused world. Evil is going to happen to you at some point if it hasn't already. And when it does, please don't retaliate. Do what verse 19 says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to God. Instead, when somebody who is different than you, because that's what ultimately drives the evil, when somebody who is different than you treats you poorly, do what verse 18 says and do all you can to live at peace with everyone, even if that person who's treating you poorly is different than you. Great story. Um, You know the story of Rosa Parks, right? Montgomery, Alabama. Um, she was the spark that lit the fire of the Montgomery bus boycotts. We know that story, okay? But let me tell you a story about one of the bus drivers. I don't think it was the same bus driver as Rosa Parks, okay? I learned this story listening to Martin Luther King's autobiography in the last couple of weeks. Powerful autobiography. Okay, bus boycott just did, all the African Americans did not ride the bus. Men, women, they were walking they were carpooling. They were doing any, anything they could to get to work without riding a bus. And that took a toll on the bus system. That took a toll on the bus drivers. I'm sure that they had reduced routes. I'm sure that they had reduced pay. Those guys could have gotten angry. 
They could have retaliated. I tell you, most of them were white. In fact, I think all of them were white. And they had been treating their African-American riders poorly for years and years and years and years. Well, eventually the bus boycott worked. And Martin Luther King decided that on the first day where the, the, the people would get back on the buses, on the first day, he had a car, okay? But he was going to ride the bus. He had a bus stop right outside his house. Five o'clock bus comes through. It's the first bus. He gets on the bus. There's the white bus driver. Looks at him and says, you're Mr. King, aren't you? You know, at that point, this guy is probably thinking, it was you who affected me so greatly. Yet this white, bus, this white bus driver looks at him and says, you're Mr. King, aren't you? I am glad that you are on my bus. I am glad that you are on my bus. This white man was doing all he could to live at peace with everyone else. It goes both directions, all directions. We must have a short-term vision to address racism, and we must do something. I don't have the answer to what you must do because there's several people in here that's going to be different. What you do may not be hard, but it may be one of the most challenging things you've ever done. So do something. And if you need ideas, go home and read Romans chapter 12, and after every comma, after every pause, just put somebody different than me. And then say, God, what is it that you want me to do? We're going to come back to this later in the message, okay? We must have a short-term vision to address racism, and this vision starts with you and me doing something. Second lesson that we can learn from Dr. Martin Luther King is this. We must also have a long-term vision when addressing racism. Simple lessons. We must have a short term. We must also have a long-term vision. I'm going to say this cautiously. I am not naive enough to think that mine will be the generation that ends racism in our world. In fact, I would question whether or not it will ever end. Because I think there is always going to be somebody or somebodies who are wanting to push down other somebody or somebodies because they are different. Do I, do I think we can make progress? Yes, absolutely. Do I want us to grow? Yes, absolutely. Can we improve in here? Yes. In Spokane? Yes. The Pacific Northwest, our country? Sure. But will we ever end global racism? I'm not so sure. Because it's been going around for a long time. Think back to the very beginning. Cain oppressed Abel. Esau oppressed Jacob. The Egyptians oppressed the Israelites for 430 years, but then we get the glory years of the early church, right? There was oppression in there too. The Greek-speaking Jews complained to the Hebrew-speaking Jews that the Greek-speaking widows were not getting enough food, and I quote, they are being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. The Apostle Paul had to publicly critique, criticize, call out Peter for acting in a way against a certain people group that he shouldn't be acting. We are close to 2,000 years later, and oppression of others is still rampant. I know that. So I'm not naive enough to think that we're going to end it globally. We will make progress, and we don't get a free, a free pass not to attempt to make progress. But we must have this long-term vision. And this long-term vision may be a little less outwardly visible and more inwardly visible or invisible, more inwardly driven. Okay? We must have, we must desire, we must long for the vision that God will one day make everything right. God will one day eventually make everything right. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. Paul says, This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, 
our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our, our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We must have a long-term vision to end racism. We must seek after, pray after, await the day when Revelation chapter 7 says that (laughs) John saw this great crowd that was too great to count and people from every nation and tribe and people and language were standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb of God. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And you know what they were doing? They were worshiping. You know what that sounds like to me? Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language, that sounds like the end of racism. You can say amen. That sounds like the end of racism. When the person standing next to you does not look at the other and say, huh, what was your, you know, what's the color of your skin? Huh, what was your annual salary? Huh, what part of the globe did you, were you born on? No, they look at you and they say, let's worship God together. That is the end of global racism, and that is a long-term vision we must keep. We must long for this day. We must pray for this day. We must strive to live our lives today as if that day is just around the corner. Martin Luther King lived both of these lessons. He did something every day. And any chance he had, he gave the people who were within earshot this long-term vision also. In fact, one of the most pointed times he did that, you'll recognize this, was on the steps of the Capitol building after the march from Selma. And he said this. He said, I know that you are asking today, how long will it take? He says, I come to you to say this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth pressed to earth will rise again. How long, he asks? Not long, because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long, because you still reap what you sow. How long? Not long, because the arm of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. You're going to like this part. How long? Not long, because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. And on the steps of the capital in Selma, he went a whole nother verse. He said, he has sounded forth the trumpets that shall never call retreat. He is lifting up the hearts of man before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. This was the long-term vision that Martin Luther King was putting out there. On the day before our nation celebrates him, we have seen two simple lessons that he lived, lessons based in Scripture, Do something in the short term and pray and strive after the long term. Now, I want to tell you that he wasn't the only one that lived these lessons out. Jesus also did. We could just read the four Gospels. We don't have time this morning to read them all out loud. But I'm going to tell you one story where it's evident Jesus was doing a short term and a long term. We know the story of the the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Jesus is addressing racism right there and classism and and genderism and all sorts of other things going on. He's addressing the short term because she is a she and he's still talking to her. She is a Samaritan and as a Jew, he's still talking to her. 
She has been shunned by her village. And you know what he does? He says something to her that sends her back into the place to, that has shunned her and says, you go be my first missionary there. Jesus addressed the short term. He treated this woman as a beautiful, beloved child of God. But he didn't neglect the long term. He says, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you living water that will quench your thirsty soul. And we're going to start a relationship that's going to last into eternity. Short term, long term. You see it? One of the best verses in the New Testament where, where this is displayed with Jesus is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He said, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Short term, to serve. Gospels are full of Jesus serving. Long term, to give his life as a ransom for many. That many is you and me. And it's still going on, short-term, long-term. Jesus lived these lessons also. My name is James Lehman. I'm a pastor here, and the color of my skin is white. Does that matter? Will there ever come a day where the person I look at will not be judged by what I see on the outside, but will be judged by the image of God in them? There will come a day, and I long for that day. I long for that day. But until that day comes, I ask God not to let me forget our common humanity. I want to push us this week in two ways. I want to push us in the long term. Every day, mark this down some more, every day pray that God's kingdom would come. That we would take a couple of steps closer to that day when every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people will stand before God. Even say, God, give us glimpses of that today. We know it's not going to come yet, but give us glimpses. So there's the long term. May your, in, your inward being long for that day and pray for that. Now here's the short term. Ready? Do something. Do something. And we're going to have you write down that something on this connection card that we're going to take in just a second, okay? So if you don't have it near you, take it out. I want you to do something to combat racism. We're going to give you guys about three, four minutes to uh, reflect on what that might be. Uh, you know your situation better than I do. A couple of examples, okay? Maybe doing something is simply sitting next to somebody different at lunch. Maybe doing something is making eye contact and smiling at somebody who is different than you. Maybe you want to go all out and say, hey, let me take you to coffee. I don't really know you. Let me hear your story. That's doing something, whatever it is. Whatever you know you may need to do or whatever God's going to lay on your heart for what you need to do, write it down because all of a sudden it becomes real. In fact, I'm going to ask you to write it in the prayer requests. That may be an odd place to put that, but here's why. I'm going to pray for every single card and every single person by name of what you write down this week. I'm going to pray that God will open the doors and an opportunity for you to do what you are committing to. I want to push you this week, not just because it's Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, but because we are God's children made in his image, and ultimately that ought to change the way we act. I'm going to pray the very same prayer I started this morning with. Tim's going to come. He's going to start strumming a little bit. He's going, to, he's going to pick while we give you three or four minutes of just time of reflection to think back on what you heard and to be thinking of what you want to do. If you don't know, ask God. My guess is that God's going to tell you something, whether it's in this time or at some point during this week. You're going to feel the nudge. You're going to feel the elbow. You're going to feel something if you are making yourself available to God. 
Okay, so we're going to take three or four minutes to, uh, to write that down, and then we're going to take our offering. Okay, I encourage you to put those connection cards in the offering plate as it goes by. Also, put your offering in there. We'd appreciate that. Okay, so that's how we're going to finish this morning. We'll then sing at the end of it. Let me pray, and then we'll move into our time of reflection. Our Father in heaven, this humanity that you created, that you called very good, we are in need of your help. We are in need of your intervention. We are in need of your aid. God, we confess that we do not treat each other as you treat us. We do not see each other as you see us. We do not love each other as you love us. Father, forgive us for that, for in that we sin. Lord, we believe that this morning you would still look at us and call us good because we are made in your image. And knowing this, while we are on this side of eternity, would you remind us, Lord, of the color of our skin, not so that we can neglect others, abuse others, mistreat others, but so that we can see the beautiful kaleidoscope of color that we who are created in your image display. God, remind us of our shared story that we're all part of together. Remind us of the wrongs we've committed so that we may not commit them again so that through you we can make them right. Remind us of the brokenness in our stories so that we will remember that it is you who will put us back together. Remind us of the heartache in our shared stories so that we would turn to you together for comfort and consolation. Abba, Father, we are your children. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. God, guide us as we continue to learn what that truly means. And I ask, Lord, at the end of this, that you would impart on our hearts something practical that we can do this week that will take small steps towards ending racism now. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So again, just take a couple of minutes of quiet where you're reflecting on what one thing is that you can do this week.